we're in the middle of a discussion that really started um, yesterday about um, the permissibility of starting to daven, or starting, excuse me, to do things which would be a uh, a, a hafra, a some kind of, in some way, impede your ability to properly daven on time. Um, particularly in the context of Mincha, we said the mission started this discussion really, it's not Shabbos-related, it just kind of echoes the tone of a Shabbos-related mission we're going to have coming up soon, so the Mishnah decided to tuck it in to the first parak of Shabbos. Um, so, we had been in the middle of talking about what is exactly the beginning of eating, right? We said that once you begin eating, um, we don't hold like Rabbi Shuab and Levi, so therefore, or even if we want to match ourselves with Rabbi Shuab and Levi, we say it could be you sat down at the beginning of Mincha Gedailah, at the much earlier zman for mincha that starts earlier in the day, that we daven at the JSN, not the not the not the type of mincha that they daven at Amik Bracha. So um, therefore, there's a little more wiggle room. That's what it seems like the Gemara's Hava Amina is. That's what it seems like the Gemara thinks. Okay, so let's actually pick it up under the circumstances from uh, from the words um which are about eight lines from the bottom of that testament base because that you base is going to go very very quickly um and a lot of that i don't mind taking a little extra time here okay and again we're aiming to be done by around seven um if we don't done 705 okay so from where do we say oh this person has started eating so we're not going to interrupt him to make him stop eating says the gemara Rav Omer is from when you wash your hands. Um, which is interesting because Rav and Shmuel are the ones back in Brachas who conclude that uh, the meal doesn't end until you say, um, until you wash my machrinim, if I'm not very much mistaken. I know that they're the ones who discussed the halacha of Argilaya um, Vigoslaya, that as long as you would still eat some kind of treat that you prefer, um, so your suda is not over yet. Um, and I believe Rashi there says the suda doesn't end until my machrinim. Okay, that's Rav. Rav Chanina Amar Mishiyatir Chagur. Rav Chanina says, when you open your belt. So it seems like they wore a very tight sort of belt that maybe you wound many times around your middle. And therefore, um, you know, that would be uncomfortable to eat, uh, to, to, to eat with that belt on. So by releasing their belt, they indicated that they were beginning to, um, to have their suda. So, says the Gemara. Says the Gemara. But like Pliggy, there's no machlekes. You might think Rav Mekarina having a machlekes. Halon v'halohu. This is a, a cultural difference. Depends on uh, whether you're a Babylonian or you're, you're or you're a Palestinian. You're from the Roman colony of Palestine. You're from the Roman colony of Palestine. You live in Eretz Yisrael. So then you culturally are unlikely to wear a very tight belt. But if you're a Babli, you probably wear a very tight belt. And therefore, it's significant that you remove your belt. Omer Abaya. So in reference to this, says Abaya, Hani chavrin bavloi. Certain Tamidi Chachamim of Bavel, the man Amar Tfilas Arvis Rishos came in the Shor Lehem Yoni Loi Machuchinu Lei. According to the opinion that Tfilas Arvis is a Rishos, we don't pass in like this opinion. We hold Tfilas Arvis is a requirement. But there is an opinion that says Tfilas Arvis that Myru is a Rishos that it's optional. So says the Gemara, says says Abaya. According to the opinion that says Tfilas Arvis is optional, Myru is optional. Once you remove your belt, you don't have to even get up. Um, to uh, to uh, because this man Meirv has arrived, right? Now that doesn't mean, by the way, make no mistake, that doesn't mean they don't have to daven Meirv, right? They always got to daven Meirv, right? Everyone's got to daven Meirv, or you know, again, it's a rishos, so technically, you know, 
questions does it get into Taisus' conversation and Rachas and Rishos, but only to the extent that there's a mitzvah getting in the way, etc. We're not going to worry about that. The point is, Rashi is careful to note here in Shabbos that, make no mistake, of course, we're talking about a scenario where, um, where uh, you're going to ultimately daven. You're going to ultimately... Yeah. Can you mute when you're not speaking, please? You're not used to comments called. There's a lot of noise. Okay. If you're not going to speak, mute. Thank you. So. Okay, so I'm going to speak. So no need for me to mute. Um, so, yeah. In a nutshell, we are going to um, we are going to allow this fellow once he's removed his belt, he doesn't have to get up and dive Meir once the time for Meir comes. Once the time for Meir comes. Right? That's the rule. Now, of course, and Rashi's very careful to note, that doesn't mean he can skip Meir if he's still supposed to dab Meir. But since Rishos, there's not such a heavy pressure for him to... Uh, not such a heavy pressure for him to uh, j- jump up right away and dab Meir because it's man, because the proper time has arrived. Now, Ulamad Amr Chayva says, According to the opinion that says Chayva, that says you've got to, Matruchin like. Okay, so then he has to, even though he's already made himself comfortable, even though he's already removed his belt, he still has to, um, he still has to get up and dive in Meir. Now, says the Gemara Holda, in response to Abayah's point, Everyone agrees that you got to dive in Mincha. Everyone agrees you got to dive in Mincha. im now we know, right? We know based on our mission. In Hischilu and Mafsikin, then once you start, you don't finish. So how can it be that both you're not forced to jump up and um, and once you remove your belt, you're not forced to jump up and stop that, right? Well at the same time, uh, we clearly see Abaya help in reference to Mayrv that according to the opinion that holds that you have to dab in Mayrv, that Mayrv is an absolute requirement, you do have to jump up even though you've removed your belt. You have to jump up and start davening. Right, and what does that mean? And Reb Hanina said that means for when you open your belt. So what's the, what's the difference? Why is it that Mincha, which according to everyone is a Chayva requirement, uh, once you've removed your belt, you're not, but we don't trouble you to get up and uh, interrupt your meal. We rather say, Keep uh, keep on eating, finish eating, put your belt back on and daven. And when it comes to Meir, we say, I don't care that you've taken your belt off. Since we hold, we're, we're of the opinion that Meir is a chayva, it's a requirement, then you must um, put your belt back on and daven Meir, even though you've started eating. Says the Gemara, back to the top of Yudom and Aleph, Hasab when it's, when it's mincha time, it's very unusual, it's very unlikely that a person should get shikr, should get drunk at mincha time. That's, unfortunately, you know, some people do, but uh, generally speaking, it's not normal practice. Um, but very often, towards the end of the day, people, uh, you know, they're working hard, it's cold outside, there's a pandemic on, and they get drunk. And we're concerned that once they get drunk, they're not going to go ahead and daven. Um, certainly, the... the Either because they're not supposed to daven or because they'll fall asleep. You're not supposed to daven when you're drunk. Inami, another pshat, another another approach, says the Gemara. Bemincha came in the kfila zimna mirtat. He's afraid. By mincha, because there's a specific zman for mincha, there's a little bit of pressure. It's like, well, I gotta make sure to get mincha in, right? So since I gotta make sure to get mincha in, it's not like Meir, where you really have hours and hours to daven Meir. Mincha, you know, you have, there's an end point. There's an end point, and, and that end point exists before you're going to go to sleep. It, it's kind of in your consciousness. You know, Meyer also has an end point. The morning, uh, it, it was too late to have Meyer, you know, about half an hour ago. But, but um, 
But uh, um, that said, uh, Mayav has a much, much broader time frame. So since Mincha has a, has a mitzumtum, has a narrow time frame, therefore there's a mirsas, there's a fear. But you're not going to be lazy. So we can be a little more relaxed about letting you finish your meal once you've opened your belt. Arvis, Kevin the Kulu Lelius, Man Arvis Since the whole night is Mayrv time, therefore there's no fear. Okay, Vasil and Mifsha, and you're going to say, ah, it's whatever, I'll daffin Mayrv soon, and by the time you get all done, you're going to have missed Mayrv. Okay, says the Gemara, hold on, Maskathor of Shaykh, Trichusa the Mesahem Yonet. Is it so hard to take off your belt? We don't, they don't really understand this. Belts, removing belts is not such a big deal. You put it on, you take it back off. What's the Loimachuchinale? We're saying, oh, he took off his belt, we're not going to trouble him. What, is it, what does that have to do with anything? It, that doesn't make sense. That's number one. What's the big deal? So you know what? You don't want him to have to put his belt back on. Let him get up with his belt off. And Davin, what is, where does the belt, why does the belt suddenly become so central? Says the Gemara, I'll tell you. Right? Because there's a halacha called hikoin, there's a halacha. That says you have to prepare yourself for davening. Hikoin means to, to be in order. Right? Like... Tikoin based to feel like we say in uh, in Moist Tour. So to be in order. So in order to put yourself in order, that's why in the sheep world people wear hats and jackets. Um, uh, you know, because they're trying to demonstrate their commitment to looking in order, to putting themselves together before they die. So we've, uh, we've, we've discussed between the two of us the, the relationship between Tikoin uh, and Tikkun. Yes, in terms of the, the, ling- the linguistic angle, uh, right. yeah. Right, right, exactly. They're they're pretty close cousins. So, um, Yaakov was just pointing out that hikon with a cuff and the shorish of hikon. You know, there's not really such a a, a binion, but the shorish tafkuf nun of even I don't know if tafkuf nun is really a shorish, but the word tikkun um, works in a similar fashion. Is anyone having trouble hearing me? Everyone good? I'm going to assume that if I don't hear any muting... Okay, Jonathan? Yes, right. Okay, good. No, I just got a, I got some kind of a notification that my internet wasn't strong, so I wanted to make sure. All right. Okay. So now we're going to have a whole list of great Amirayim who had different uh, practices of hikoyin, of preparing themselves for tefillah in respectable ways. Rabbi Baravuna, Rami Puzmaki, Umatsu. What are Puzmaki? Puzmaki. So Rabbi Baravuna had, a, it seems like, special leggings. Um... Or pants, which he would put on specifically for the purpose of davening, or socks even. Some people say socks. Why Omar Hikain He said this is in. He invoked Hikain. He said I, I put on the special, uh, the special footgear, the special garment, in order to demonstrate that I'm preparing myself for tefillah. Rava shadi glime upachar umatsli. Rava would remove his glima. What's a glima? Is a cloak. Needs to translate as a shirt. I don't think it's correct. It's a cloak. It's kind of like the talus we would wear. So he would throw off his talus and daven. I mean, probably wouldn't throw it on the floor, but he would remove it and daven. Omar hikoin likras Hashem alikecha. He it was like a upachayode. I'm sorry, I forgot to note upachayode. What does it mean? Upachayode. Upachayode means the way that my rebbeim always explained it to me means something like this. It means to fold your hands because the way that in the ancient Middle East, a slave would stand in front of his master would be in kind of an attitude of, of humble submission like this. And Rashi says that's the attitude we ought to embody um, 
when uh, when we're davening, we should have that uh, that that uh, general way of holding ourselves like a slave servant in front of his master. Okay. So that was what Rav would do. Amr Ravashi, Chazina Leiler of Kahana. Ravashi reports, I saw of Kahana. When there was distress, when there was something wrong in the world, he would remove his glima, he would remove his cloak, he would hold his hands in that fashion, and So he would adopt this kind of forlorn look, the cloakless, uh, hands folded look that, that the Gemara describes Rava having had. Um, he would adopt that specifically in scenarios when there was trouble in the world, perhaps a pandemic. A pandemic. Now, Kikashlama, when it was normal, when it was the good times, which, frankly, I think that they would have probably looked at our pandemics and said, that sounds like a good day to me. Um, lovish and Muskasi, he would get properly dressed and cover up, Musateh, wrap himself in his glima and his cloak, Umatsli and that. Omar, he would say, He said that Hikoin actually uh, requires you to be a little better dressed than that. So you shouldn't, on a normal day, cast off your talus and, and all the things that we described earlier, because that, or your cloak, because that's not proper. It's, it's, a, it's a lacking in Hikoin. It's one thing if there's some kind of tsar, so you want to demonstrate, right? You want to show that you're, um, that you're in tsar, that you're in trouble, but not otherwise. Okay. Rav is sort of Hamnuna davening a long time, probably a very long time. Am I right? Not like, you know, we see somebody davening a three and a half minutes per second, we're like, oh, that guy's from. Right? So he probably was taking a little more time than that. So he was davening for a very long time. So Rav was, uh, was a little unhappy because a big Torah scholar like Rav Hamnuna spending all day davening, that wasn't so, he wasn't so pleased with that sight. Amar manichin And he made this kind of a comment. He said, you know, I see that some people, and he would say a little passively, right? we would say it's passive-aggressive. Right? Uh, he would say, I, I, I've heard that some people, they put aside they put aside real life, eternal life, in other words, Torah learning, and they busy themselves with they busy themselves with, um, with uh, you know, small matters, uh, uh, temporal matters, in other words, tefillah. He said no, right? There's a difference between between zman and zman There's a time to daven and a time to learn, and this is the time to daven. Okay, that's a very deep dispute that we are not going to be able to get into. Um, Rabbi Yirmiya and Rabbi Zeira were sitting together. Or more properly, Rabbi was sitting before Rabbi Zeir. Rabbi was the Talmud. And well, they were speaking and learning. They were learning together. Suddenly, it came time to daven. It was late to daven. I've come to sorry for Rabbi So Rabbi leapt up and he said, Oh no, you know, I'm late. Got to daven. So Rabbi Zeir wasn't happy with him. This is a very, you know, we shouldn't try this at home. This is for people like Rabbi and Rabbi but they said, no, we shouldn't be jumping. Who are you to jump up to Davin? You're, you're involved in learning right now. You should stick to what you're doing. Deal with davening later. Okay? Right? Then you quoted the Pasuk. Somebody who's Meser Aznim Shmei someone who remi- removes his ear from hearing Tayyar, Gam his Tvila is, hard to even say his words, his Tvila is disgusting. Okay? I'd count. That's what we learned. Now. Just one, sure. one point from... Um from the uh, Econ Akash of the Israel. I just think it's a little 
I think uh, Rav Ashi's position is a little interesting given the given the context of that pasuk itself. Mm. Meaning the the context of the pasuk in Amos is um, Hashem says, you know, he basically can destroy Bashan or Shomron um, because they're back in the end of Brachas, you know, like positive Nakama versus negative Nakama. Very hard right. to uh, translate that into, into our sensibilities, but yeah, it's a good point. Okay. Um, Alright, so we said also another halacha related to the starting of Mincha. We said that once Dayanam sit down to start, to ma- you're not supposed to sit down and start making din. You're not supposed to have a new hearing, a new court case. Adin before, uh, when, when it's come time for Mincha already. So, says the Gemara, when do we call it Haschol Din? Maybe we say Haschol Din. When does the Din Torah start? say, once the Dayanam, it seems like the practice was they would wrap themselves in Talesim. They would, uh, they would very much how we do Atifo, they would put their Talis over their head and over their shoulders. And they would, uh, this was to kind of demonstrate the, the seriousness of what they were about to do. And Rashi says it would help them not to glance around and, you know, be distracted. A different opinion says, no, it's once the Baledinim start saying their tainas, their arguments. Well, says the Gemara, there's no much like it. It depends whether or not the Bezdin has been in session all day or not. If the Bezdin has been in session all day, so they're not going to get redressed. They're, they're already in their, in their judicial robes. They're already all set up. So there's no need for them to go and put on their talisim in an ituf type of fashion again. Right? They're already there. But if not, so, so therefore, so what we're going to wait for is when did the Balidin, when did the litigants start talking? However, uh, if it's the first case of the day, so we wait until the Talesim are donned, which might actually precede, which would presumably precede um, the litigants talking. We know this already from Brachas. Rav Ami and Ravasi sat between some pillars. And that's what they sat and learned. Every, every now and then, once an hour maybe, they would come and they would bang, they would knock on the doorpost. If there's anybody who has a din, who has a, a, a who has pending litigation, who has a dintaira, he should come on in, we'll help him out. They said, now we're just getting a rundown of proper judicial practice. Rav Chist and Rabbi Rav Huna would sit um, ruling on cases of Jewish law all day long. They were professional Dayan and professional judges. So Rashi quotes two opinions as to what means. One opinion is that they were sick and weak because they didn't have a chance to eat properly. Um, it's actually the second shot, but I said it first because it seems to be the one Rashi prefers. Um, I'll tell you the other one in a moment. That the nation stood over Moshe Rabbeinu from the morning until the evening. Says the Gemara of Chitala, Al Daitcha Shemoshe Yoshev Dunkal Ayoyim. 
right? Kolyam Kulay. He says, right? Says here by Difti, you probably are trying to model yourself after Moshe Rabbeinu, right? He's being polite to them, who sat, uh, who didn't, you know, he didn't even have a coffee. He sat and he learned, and he sat and he was a dying all day long, and of course, he was. It was very difficult for him. So you're trying to imitate Moshe Rabbeinu. Well, guess what? Do you think even Moshe Rabbeinu sat all day? That's not the case, right? It's not possible. Moshe Rabbeinu had to teach us the tire. He had to learn the tire and teach the tire. How could it possibly be that he sat as a dying the entire day? That's not the pshat. It's impossible to be the pshat. When somebody is a good and honest judge who judges people in an erlicha in a straight way, even though he doesn't spend the whole day doing it, even though he does it just for an hour, nonetheless, HaKadosh Baruch Hu considers it as if he was a partner in my as if he was a partner in the creation of the world. And that is the reason um, to for the invocation of Min HaBaykir Vyad Erev. And I'm sure you are starting to think why you are, you can come up with on your own why we uh, connect Min HaBaykir Vyad Erev to the creation of the world. As the Gemara explains. As the Gemara explains. The people stood over Moshe Rabbeinu from the morning until the evening. And we see the invocation of evening and morning when it comes to my Rashis. We're coming full circle now. We're coming back to the beginning of Masechus Brachis. Now uh, we um, we've connected things up. Okay. Ad Mosai Yoshvin Bedin. How long, right? Oh, I should mention the second shot. Rashi says another shot. He says that seemed that they were sad. They were upset because they were not able to learn um, uh, because they were so busy being judges. They were so busy being judges, so he wanted to be, or they weren't, weren't able to learn as much as they wanted to. Um, uh, so, and, and it was to this that, uh, it was to this that, um, that Rav Chia Bara was saying, hey, you know, good point, um, but uh, but don't worry, I, because it's very important to be a Dain, so it's worth the time that you're putting into being a Dain. Okay. Um, there are comments to be made here in terms of the ordering of Baker and Erev. We're not going to delve into that particularly thorny question right now. Um, all right, so... Let us continue over here. Until when does one sit and act as a Dayan? When is break? When is siesta time for a Dayanim? Says the Gemara of Sheshis, Ad Zman Seuda, until breakfast, right? You don't, don't well, I should say, um, I should say, breakfast is a bit of a strong word. Until it's time to eat. Okay, Amr of Chama, how do we know Micro? It's a Pasuk, the Siv. This is a Pasuk in, um, in Kohelis. Eilicha Aretz, right? A is like Oi. That's how you know that the proper way to pronounce a Chelem is A. Eilicha Aretz, Shemalcha Nar, Visorecha Babaikir Yoichlu. Ashrecha Aretz, Shemalcha Ben Chayrim, Visorecha Beis Yoichlu, Begvura, Veloi, Be Shisi. Right? Praiseworthy is the land whose leaders, um, or, or rather, first, woe is the land whose leaders are. Uh, Eating first thing in the morning, and praiseworthy um, is the land whose king is not a fool, a young person perhaps, but a free man, and its officers are eating at the time of strength and not drinking. What does that mean? At the time of strength of learning, which we're going to talk about what that is in a moment, and they're not sitting around getting drunk. Okay, go tell it to Versailles. 
Alright, now we're going to learn about intermittent fasting. People who eat in the first hour of the morning. Okay, so the first hour of the morning today, Hanei Tzachama, we said it's something like 7.18 here in California. So, um, you know, let's say in the, uh, in the time between 7.18 and 8.18, if you are a Ludi, what's a Ludi? Rashi says a Ludi is a cannibal. A Ludi is a savage, cannibalistic um, uh, ravtan, a fressing um, uh, race, right? Someone is reporting bad audio. Bad audio, is that a universal problem? Hey, you, you dropped out a couple of times. Okay, where'd you lose me? Um, I don't know, I think we uh, lost you about, I lost you about 30 seconds ago. Okay. But, Are we good now? Are we clear now? Okay, you're up to, I haven't read Shneer Michaelistim, so that's good. Alright, I, I left off at Cannibals. We didn't do cannibals either. Okay, so let me re- let me back you up already. Okay, we just we addressed. If, you're, with... if your phone on Wi-Fi, because that'll improve. I'm not on a phone. I'm on my laptop, which is on Wi-Fi, but I have the same awful Comcast as everyone else around there. Mine. Anyway. Okay. Um, can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah, so yeah. we just good. Okay. So let me know if it changes, and I'll try maybe moving um, into a more central place. Um, Okay, so in a nutshell, um, in a nutshell, we have just been saying that it's very good. There are some lands whose kings, whose leaders uh, are busy pressing and drinking first thing in the morning. Um, obviously, this doesn't include coffee. There's a coffee's grandfather there. Um, but, uh, and there are some places where they wait until the time of gvura, the time of strength to eat. And they're not busy guzzling wine first thing in the morning, etc. Um, so the Gemara is now going to explain what that means. The Gemara gives us kind of a, a list of etiquette rules. Of, uh, of proper rules of when one ought to eat. So when ought one to eat? So he said the first hour is Meichel Ludim. It's the time to eat of Ludim. Ludim are a savage cannibalistic race. They stuff their faces with everything they find. So if you eat in the time between 7.18, sunrise this morning and 8.18, right, you are a Ludi, you're a cannibal. Sorry, bad news. Um, very unfortunate. Now, at the same time, the next hour... The next hour, Shania Michaelistim, the second hour, you're not Mamish a cannibal, but you're a robber, right? So that's the next hour. Shlisha is Michael Yarshin. The third hour is the time that people who don't have to work for their money, not that we know anyone like that who is famous today, but people who don't have to work like work for their money, people who don't take seriously hard work, they eat in the third hour. Revius Michael Poilim, the fourth hour is the time that Poilim, the laborers eat. Chamish is Michael Koadim, and the fifth hour is the proper time. For everyone to eat, right? So says the Gemara. Hold on a second. And the fourth hour is the time for everyone to eat. Says the Gemara. You're right. The fourth hour is the time that everyone eats. Normal, regular people. If you're a menial laborer, so you have to be very busy the whole morning. So you eat a little later in the fifth hour. The sixth hour is the time for a Tamil Chacham to eat. So it's almost noon. After that. It's like a Zerik Evan Lechemus. It's like somebody throwing a rock into an empty wineskin. Um, there's some question what that means exactly. Um, but Rashi says that it's not good for you. Uh, Rashi says two problems. Either it's not good for you or that it's not particularly good. Either it's not quite good and it's not quite bad. Those are the two options and how to define um, that statement of the Gemara. The Gemara does give a caveat. The Gemara says 
This is only true to the extent you didn't have a, a bite to eat first thing in the morning. If you had, you had a bite to eat first thing in the morning, you're not on this empty wineskin status and you don't have to worry so much. You can just take the food and uh, you don't have to be so concerned about exactly when you schedule your breakfast. Okay. It's new halacha. It says a person can daven in a bathhouse. Daven in a bathhouse? So now there's a statement that goes to the rules of davening in and around a bathhouse. In the very first room where people are standing around clothed, a person can say psukim and daven, and he can say shalom aleichem to his friend, and he can put on tefillin in the first place, he certainly doesn't have to remove them. And then there's one area already where it's kind of like a dressing area. Some people are still undressed, some people are dressed. You can say shalom, you can say, you can greet your friend. But at the same time, however, there is no mikra and tefillah, there is no reading of psukim and there's no davening. So already you're halfway into the basic, the basic America, into the bathhouse, and you can't daven and learn. Excuse me. Um, you don't remove your tefillin, but you shouldn't put it on tefillin in the first place out there. Now, in the place where people are standing totally undressed, where everyone is undressed, you can't even greet your friend, you can't say shalom, and you cannot daven and learn. If you find yourself in tefillin, then you got to take them off. You certainly can't put them on. So clearly, it seems that you can't daven once you're in the true Beis Hamerchatz in the bathhouse. It says the Gemara, "If you come, rather, have merchashim by Adam." We're talking about an empty bathhouse. Now, this should sound really familiar. We're talking about an empty bathhouse. Says the Gemara. People are saying lost audio again. Lost audio again. Now, now. Um. Can you hear me now? Okay, where do we leave off? I, I, I think, um, you know, uh, one of the issues, if it, if it is a bandwidth issue, mm-hmm. um, maybe if you um, didn't shuffle quite so much, it seems like um, hmm. when you really get going, the video might be so going to bug you back. Now that's interesting. Video. That's yeah, you can just turn off the video entirely. Okay, well, we'll, that's not a bad idea. We'll do that for now. We will do that for now. Okay. We'll have to imagine the shuffling. Imagine the shuffling. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Okay, good. All right, let us keep on going because we're running out of time. Um, very well. Says the Gemara, "Kikom Rebbe Rabbi Hamer Chaim Biyadim." Talking about an empty bathhouse. Talking about a bathhouse that has no people in it. A bathhouse that has no people in it. Who cares? Bathhouse is a bathhouse. It doesn't matter if no one's there, right? This should sound very, very familiar. Right? In the Beis that we talk about, we just talked about in Masechus Brachas, is a Beis even if there's no Tzaya, there's no excrement in it. Oh, it's a brand new bathhouse. It's just been designated as a bathhouse, but it wasn't a bathhouse. Um, it's never been used. Says Gemara, that's not so simple. But me buy buy a little Ravina. That's a question Ravina asked. This middle basic, he said, "Ma'u yezim no yezimu." There's a question. Did the um, that didn't work? Says Baruch. 
Let me move because I suspect that where I'm sitting in my head. Hopefully this will work. Okay. Right, so Mar was in the middle of explaining that uh, we're actually uh, something we're unsure about whether or not a base Akise, which is not formally uh, used yet, but which is, I should say, used, but is, has been formally designated as a base Akise, whether it has the status of a bathroom already. So, how can we say that you can dive in even in a brand new bathhouse? when it's been designated as a bathhouse. So that's the Gemara, Belay of Shitalay, and that's the very, we're on the very last line, Belay of Shitalay, and he didn't resolve this question, it's an open question. Says so the Gemara, Lav Huadin isn't that true for a bathhouse as well? Says so the Gemara, Loi, it's not true. Vilna, turning the page, Shani Beisakise de Mois, the very name Beisakise, a bathroom is a disgusting place, it's not a pleasant place, and therefore, um, and therefore, uh, you have to, uh, you, even even if it hasn't been used as a bathroom, you have to refrain from davening something which has been just designated as a bathhouse but never used. It doesn't have that disgusting um, status. Okay, so far so good. Everyone with me? Can you hear me? Yeah, yes. Oh, okay, good. Very good. Okay, now we're going to head down the Ahmed real fast. Ain't Shum She'ela Shalom. We said, that in the bathhouse, bathhouse proper, you can't say Shayla Shalom, you can't say Shalom to your friend. Says the Gemara, This is a proof to Rav Hamnuna. So if Hamnuna says in the name of Ula, you can't say Shalom to your friend in a bathhouse. Why? The Pasuk in Shaiftim says, talks about Gidon and uh, implies that Gidon. Say really almost pretty explicit that Gidon called Hashem by the name Shalom. Shalom, the, the word peace, is one of the names of Akadish Baruch. Okay, so we don't want to say Shalom in the bathhouse because it's the name of Hashem. Says the Gemara, You shouldn't be allowed to say Hemnusa, you shouldn't be allowed to say Emuna either. Hemnusa is just the Aramaic word of saying Emuna. Some people's uh, children are named Emuna, right? Um, faith, you can't, shouldn't be able to say faith in the bathhouse. Why? One of the ways that we describe Hashem is the trusted God. That's one of the attributes of Hashem as well. So uh, you shouldn't be allowed to say the word faith. You shouldn't be allowed to say a moon in the bathhouse. And we don't find that that's the case. Maybe you say, no, that's true. You're not allowed to say it. It's a very specific, strangely specific uh, quote of the Amiraim, which says that you're specifically allowed to say Hamnusa. You're specifically allowed to mention Emuna in the Beisakise. Right? Uh, 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 over there, right? There's a difference. One, in one case, Shalom is actually the name of Hashem, right? Hashem's name itself, Kivayachal, is peace. It's one of the names, right? There are many names of Hashem. So some people have the meaning when they write Shalom, they write out the word Shalom in a letter or something like that. They make it with a little, they don't write it out in full, as if they were writing like a real name of Hashem. Because they say, oh, we see it from the Gemara and Shabbos, that's the name of Hashem. Well, 
Amuna is a way that is an attribute. It's a way we describe it. Hakadosh Baruch Hu is completely reliable. Uh, that we have utter total faith in Hakadosh Baruch Hu, but it's not Kibbutzachol his actual name. Okay. Somebody gives a gift to his friend, he's got to inform him. To know that I am Hashem who makes you holy. Right? Because the Baruch who informs Klal Yisrael, right? Keep Shabbos, right? Shimru Shabbos, I said, excuse me, right? Which is exactly uh, last week's parsha. Right, in order to know, so that you will know that I am Hashem who makes you holy. Tanya nami halchi lo daske ani Hashem mekadeshem. On those words, we learn in our brisa to know that I am Hashem who makes you holy. I'm the kadosh baruch hu lemaisha. Kadosh baruch hu said to Maisha Rabbeinu matana tevi eshu beis I have a wonderful gift in my in my storehouse, in my treasury. V'shabbos shema. There's a very nice old song like this. V'shabbos shema. Yeah, I'm sorry, it's an old song. V'shabbos shema, and it is called Shabbos. And I would like to give it to Kali. So please go and tell them. Somebody who gives past Latinic, somebody who gives uh, bread to a child, he has to let his mother know, right? You shouldn't just feed someone else's child. Um, you should uh, you should rather uh, inform them, hey, you know, I tried to help out in the following way. That's proper etiquette. Uh, excuse me, I jumped down. What should he do? What you should do is, you should give him a little bit of oil between his eyes. I don't know, that we don't, we're lacking cultural context to understand what this, uh, why this makes sense. Um, and give him a little bit of kachol, a little bit of eyeshadow, which it seems like every man had uh, in his pocket. Right, so it would be a way of indicating the mother would come, the kid would come home, and the mother would say, "Hey, you know, you have oil on your head and eyeshadow on your face. Would you mind explaining that?" And he says, "Oh, it's because I met so and so, and he gave me bread." But now, when somebody sees their child like that, they're going to say, "This is a pro-. again, we are again lacking cultural context, but uh, and say, hey, excuse me, um, who are you to try to magic my child? We're afraid that it's a, that it's a sign of enchantment. So my, what do you do?" Right, whatever uh, present you've given him, you should smear some of it uh, on his head. Okay. It's interesting that that's not actually the other parent in the same way. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I don't know, but uh, again, we're lacking a lot of cultural context to, to, to interpret this line. Okay, says the Gemara. Any Vomer of Chama? I don't. I really want. To, I want to talk about the more, but we. I want. I want people to be able to dam vasikin. It seems that actually there's an opposite, there's an opposing opinion. Chacham says you do not need to inform your friend um, that you've been given a gift. When Moshe descended from Mar Sinai, his uh, after having spoken to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, his face was shining beautifully, and he didn't know Hakadosh Baruch Hu had given him this gift of this glowing face of the spiritual level, which is indescribable almost. And he didn't know, because Baruch didn't tell. Depends whether or not it's something that's going to be famous. Um, audio gone. Yeah, you were right about the video, probably. Okay. Right? So. Alright, so. Um, that's what we were just in the mode of saying. There's a difference between Shabbos and Moshe Rabbeinu's glowing face. 
And Shabbos, a Moshe Rabbeinu's glowing face was something he was going to find about pretty quickly. Too much, there's no such thing as too much Yaakov. Um, and on the other hand, right, um, on the other hand, Shabbos, it would seem, is something that is loy avidu de glie. So the Gemara, well, Shabbos, avidu de glie. Shabbos, we're going to find out about. Shabbos is a, is, is a, is a pretty big deal. Says the Gemara, Matan Schar le avidu de glie. Kaddish Baruch was revealing to my Shabbos to tell the Kali, so that it was a matan of taiva. It's matan schar. It's uh, the massive reward that people are going to get for keeping Shabbos. That is what um, he was gifting to them. Okay. Chista was holding the two matanos. Um, it really means the three matanos. Chista was a kain, and he was holding the manus kahuna in his hand. Beautiful pieces of meat. Anyone who comes and tells me a nice kiddush from Rav, a, a teaching from Rav, from my Rebbe that I haven't heard before, I'm going to give you this meat because you're he's allowed to give it to, give the uh, he's allowed to give away the meat. I'm sorry about the audio. I don't really know what to do about it. Um, our beef is with the big corporations. Our beef is with Comcast. Um, I'll just review the last couple of lines. We said that Rav Chista, who was a Kayin, um, was uh, was sitting and Rav Chista was sitting and um, offering these nice pieces of meat that he had as a Kayin to um, to other people, and he was saying that uh, anyone who comes and teaches him a new teaching from Rav. Um, is going to uh, receive this meat. Is going to be zayicha to get the meat. He is very excited to hear new teachings from Rav. So the Gemara. Amalei Rav Bar Mechas Yalchi Amar Rav Hanesim Atol Chaveret Tzorich Leidia. So says Rav Rav Bar Mechas Yaltai a teaching from Rav, which is that if someone gives his friend a gift, he has to let him know. This teaching we just learned. Who gave us this information with Shabbos? You should know I am Hashem who makes you holy. You should know I'm giving you the gift of Shabbos. As we said, that means the gift of the wonderful schar, the wonderful reward of Shabbos. So he's handing him the steaks. He's like, "You're great. Thank you." I see you like these teachings of Rav very much. He says, "Yeah, I'm hooked." Right? A piece of clothing is, right, you have a familiar jacket, a familiar sweater that you're very comfortable in, it becomes your favorite sweater, right? So something that's in your comfort zone, something that you're very comfortable in, that's always going to be very pleasant. So by teaching you the teachings of his Rabbi Rav, by teaching him the teachings of his Rabbi Rav, it was as if he could give him a favorite sweater every time, you know? So, um... So, therefore, um, that's why he was so happy. And, and that was also a teaching of Rav. It was very clever. Oh, gosh. Gone again. Gone again. We were just saying, can you hear me now, Baruch? Yeah. Okay, it seems like it goes in and out for a second every now and then. So, I'm just going to have to repeat myself every now and then. But, um, um, uh, the, but what we were just saying is that, is that Rav... Uh, um, Rav Bar, Bar Mechasia said that I'll teach you even another teaching of Rav. Rav said that people love their comfort zone and they love the tire that they're familiar with and therefore by teaching him these teachings of Rav that were so familiar to him um, he knew that he would get a good feeling because he was uh, in the comfortable, familiar teachings of his Rabbi Rav. So he says to him Amalei uh, Amarav Hachi Did Rav really say this? I like the second thing you told me even more than the first one. If I had any more stakes, I would give them to you. Very beautiful. We're going to read a few more lines and then we're going to wrap it up. 
Never ever give favoritism to one of your children over the others. Because, because of uh, a couple of sloyim worth of fine cloth, that's a reference. <laughs> Time to repeat. We were just saying a new quote from uh, from Rav Bar Machasia that a person should never give favoritism to one of his sons, one of his children over the other. And it's going to end with this, that uh, because Yaakov showed favoritism to Yosef by giving him these beautiful, the beautiful uh, the clothing which were better than everyone else had, just the Kumar says, a couple of slime worth of milah, so fine cloth, um, a lot of trouble ended up happening, and Kali Yisrael ended up in Mitzrayim. I think we'll stop it here, okay? Everyone set?